This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Good morning. It's great to be with you today. It's good to see you here, and it's great to be in worship. Today we're continuing a sermon series that Pastor Bob started last week. Last week, Pastor Bob talked to us about the Great Commission. That's where Jesus sends his disciples, where he sends us into the world, into the highways and byways of life, to invite others, to uh, encourage others to join us in the ways of Jesus. And Pastor Bob talked to us about how, how that's being played out here at Schweitzer and the fact that we have a, have a sense of mission and we have a sense of vision, things that Jesus wants us to be a part of, that he wants us to give our, our life to. So um, today we're going to talk about the great commandment because if you have a mission, you know, there's, there's lots of ways that a, a community, an organization, an enterprise, an entity can go about fulfilling its mission, right? But the how that you go about fulfilling your mission matters. Uh, to sort of draw you into that point, I would like to show you a picture of somebody who had a mission and yet um, maybe missed a little bit of the, of the how. You see, last, last fall, Tom Brady had a mission to get to the Super Bowl, right? And, and there was this one point where he had a, a mission to beat the Indianapolis Colts. It was a rainy day, cold day. So evidently, according to a report in the NFL, uh, that the NFL uh, co- commenced to be done, Tom had, along with somebody else, designed to, to deflate a number of footballs just a little bit so that make them more catchable, make them more throwable. Well, you see, that's a, that's a problem in the NFL. The how, now certainly the Patriots went out and they beat the Indianapolis Colts. Anybody remember the s- score? It was a thunderous beating, right? It, it wasn't even close. It was terrible. Yeah. Like 45-7. So, um, but what that has done, because of the how, they went, how Tom and others went about seeking to advance the mission, there are now um, all kinds of, of thoughts. There's a pall over Tom Brady's career because of the how. The how matters. As Jesus had this mission, he came into the world, to be a part of healing the world, to be a part of, of seeing God's handiwork at, at play in the world, Jesus seems to be guided by this virtue of love. Everywhere Jesus goes, he seems to be guided by the capacity, the desire to let love be a guiding virtue in his life and in his ministry. And so uh, there's a number of, of points I'd like to just sort of... Uh, chain out for us with regard to that, but you could really have a whole list of things where Jesus lets the virtue of love be a guiding factor. One of the things where Jesus lets love rule is he lets love rule over ethnicity. When you go back and you read a number of the miracles of Jesus, you'll find that Jesus does miracles among people who are outside of his own ethnic race. Jesus seems to see other people in need, and regardless of what their ethnic makeup is, Jesus goes to them. Jesus lets love rule over contribution. There's one day where he's in the temple and uh, he and his friends are noticing what people are doing in terms of how they're making a contribution to the temple work. And there's a lady who comes along and she just makes just a small contribution. And Jesus says, you know, her contribution is small, but she has given everything that she's got because she loves this place and loves God and loves this work. And her contribution, because it's driven by love, is the greatest kind of contribution you can, you can make. Love for Jesus rules over history. 
Many times when Jesus is having a conversation with folks and, and other folks are in the room or they're off to the side, they say, Jesus, do you know who you're talking to? Or Jesus, do you know whose house you visited last night? Do you know what their history is? Jesus says, I'm not so concerned about their history as I am concerned about the reality that God loves the people that I engage. God loves everyone. Jesus is somebody who is driven by love. Now, because Jesus is driven by love doesn't mean that everybody else who travels with him is driven by love. It doesn't mean that everybody else who's on the outside looking in understands or appreciates that Jesus has this priority of love. In fact, at one point, Jesus is in the temple in Jerusalem and he's got quite a crowd uh, around him because because when you love other people, other people tend to respond in kind, right? They they tend to pay, uh, they tend to pay love back in kind. They they tend to pay attention. So Jesus has this crowd and there are religious rulers in the temple in Jerusalem who are trying to understand why Jesus has such a crowd. What, makes him, uh, le- what gives him legitimacy to be a leader of others? And so they begin to pepper him with all kinds of questions. Uh, Mark, in Mark chapter 12, you'll find a number of those questions, and you'll find Jesus engaged in this conversation about what makes him legitimate to be a, a leader. And down here near the end of Mark chapter 12, we find this kind of conversation, this question and response from Jesus. Mark 12, starting at verse 38. One of the scribes came near and heard uh, the dispute that was taking place. And he saw that Jesus answered them well, and he asked Jesus this question. Which commandment is the first of all? What's the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus said this. The first is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second, Jesus said, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to Jesus, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is the one, and besides him there is no other. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is much more important than all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, Mark says, no one dared to ask Jesus any more questions. There's a couple of things that happen right there in that, in that question and response time. This guy who is seeing this great big conversation comes and he says, Okay, okay Jesus, we've got to know, you know, what do you know? What do you know about the law? What do you know about Moses? Which, which commandment? is really the greatest. And so Jesus pulls from two summary statements, one from Deuteronomy, one from the book of Leviticus, summary statements of the law of Moses, and he said the first is this, love God with everything that you've got, and then the second's like it, love your neighbor. The, the guy, the scribe, who's, who asked him the question says, you've got it. Those two laws are, in, in fact, the summary statement of Moses. They sum everything up. They're better than all of the offerings that we could bring. They're better than all of the the deeds that we can do. To do those two things is the summary. So in in essence, this guy is saying, everybody's been questioning your legitimacy to be a leader, your legitimacy to have this group of people following you. He says, I don't know what the rest of your credentials are like, but you have a basic understanding of the law of Moses. You're good to go. Important stuff. And Jesus comes back with a response to this guy. Did you catch that? 
I mean, the guy responds, but Jesus then responds too. And he says, he says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. In other words, I think Jesus is saying this. He's saying, uh, young guy, you too have read the books of Moses. You understand the law. You see where this summary is at place. And so it's here. It's up in your head. You're thinking about it and you're, you're trying to, to put it into action. But the question, the question for you and the question for us, the question for all of us is this, is how does that sense of knowing, that sense of ability to give voice to it, how does that shape our hearts? How does that shape our lives? Jesus says to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. It's in your thinking, but it is, is it in the rest of your being? Is it in your heart? Does it come out in your hands? Do you love God with everything that you've got? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Do you love your enemies? As I was thinking about those, those questions, I was, as I was in that text thinking about that, I suddenly had in my mind the picture of St. Francis uh, coming into that space. I don't know if, if uh, any of you know the story of St. Francis. St. Francis is, is one of those guys who appears in lots of places within our culture, uh, especially if you have a garden or if you go into shops that sell stuff for gardens. How many of you have a, a statue of St. Francis at your house? Some of you in here do. How many of you go to a garden store and see St. Francis around the place? You see this guy? Yeah, St. Francis is, we've got a good picture of him up here. He's got a bird there in his hand. Um, one of the great stories about St. Francis is how he, he went out one day and he preached a sermon to the birds because St. Francis had this understanding that God loved all of creation. God cared for all of creation. In fact, he told the birds that they better be about the business of worshiping their creator, to sing the song that God had given them to sing. So St. Francis was a guy who was really a great preacher, and he preached not only to people, but he preached to the birds. He preached to all of creation. He is in, in, the, in the commonplace today. He's thought of as somebody who's like a, a saint of gardens, or he's thought of as a, almost a de facto saint of the environment, somebody who cares about creation. But he really, he really, at his heart, at the fullness of his being, cared about, he loved God with all of his heart. And he loved his, his neighbor. In fact, he loved many people that we might call his enemies. So as I was thinking about Jesus' comments to us, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love your neighbors yourself, I thought about St. Francis and the kind of example that he is to me, and maybe he could be an example to you and to all of us. So I want to tell you a little bit about St. Francis today. St. Francis was born in 1182. Uh, he has this tradition amongst us, but when he, when he was born, he was born into a family that had significant amount of wealth. His his dad was a dealer in silk, a buyer and a seller. Because he was, was doing that in 1182, he was also the equivalent of a banker. He was a, he was a, a significant merchant in the town of Assisi in Italy. And St. Francis grew up with, with means. He grew up with the capacity to, to go out and play all day. And as he got older, he played. And he played, as Pastor Jim Mason often likes to say, he played hard. He played hard and he had... He, he had a lot of fun. In fact, his mother was, was a devout person, but St. Francis didn't have much room for devout, a devout life. He just had room for fun. Although his father did see in him the capacity, the capacity with a mind for business. In many ways, St. Francis had a, a shrewd side about him. And so his father began to dream and imagine how Francis was going to join him in business and he was going to be a great business partner 
partner because he had a shrewd mind for business. He liked to work, but he really liked to have fun. Well, St. Francis, when he was 20 years old, found his town of Assisi at war with another neighboring town. And he was called upon to be a part of the party that went out to defend the town of Assisi. And he was taken in that battle, and he was taken as, as a prisoner of war. For one year, he spent his life as a prisoner of war. After that time, he came home, and he tried to take up that earlier kind of life that he had. But he found this battle, this turmoil, functioning within his own life. Like, what does it really mean to live? What am I, what am I here for? What's my existence about? And in the midst of that time, and then also in the midst of another call-up to go to battle, he seemed to find Jesus along his way with this simple statement, follow me. So he didn't know what that looked like. But he knew this. He knew that Jesus liked to take walks, and so Francis began to take walks. His father got frustrated because he thought Francis ought to be helping out in the family business, or he thought Francis ought to be doing something in town or spending some time with some of his friends. But Francis oftentimes was was out, uh, outside of town, out in the woods, out in the gardens. He was taking walks. He was seeking, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Along the way in that search, Francis found himself in a church, in a worship service one day. And as a text was being read, a text from Luke 9, as Jesus was sending the twelve out into the world, Francis seemed to hear the voice of Christ come over him and say, Francis, I love you. I love you and I care about you. I love you and I want all of your, I want all of you, Francis. I want your entire being. I want you to, to know how much I love you and I want you to love me in return. Francis heard that voice and, and he had this vision that as Jesus sent the disciples, he's also sending me. And, and if I'm going to love God in return, I'm going to love God by by going into the world and, and sharing his love that he has for me with others. And I'm going to go in the way that Jesus told his disciples to go. So he, he decided that he wasn't going to take two tunics, he was just going to take one. And he wasn't going to take any sandals, he was just going to go bare feet through his, through his world. And he, he wasn't going um, to take any bread along with him, or he wasn't going to take any of his father's coins. He was simply going to go into the world as he was. And when he shared the gospel of Christ, if other people blessed him, he was, it was going to be great. God was going to provide for him. And St. Francis started to move in that way, and he, he, he found his heart um, growing in love with God. As he longed for God, as he followed after God, his heart simply grew, and it kept growing in love for God. As, as he grew in love for God, he found himself coming to places and encountering people that he had not loved in the past, that in fact many times he found repulsive or reviling to himself. Around Assisi lived the community of, of people who had leprosy. That was their skin had sores and pores. Their, their skin meant that they, they had to live at the edge of the city, not in the, as a part of the city center. When Francis was a young person and he encountered somebody with leprosy, he would, he would turn and he would run the other way as fast as he could. He wanted to be away from people who had this kind of sin disease, this kind of stuff around them. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. Um, and then, as he found this love of God growing in his heart, there was one day when he saw somebody with leprosy, and he turned as he normally had done, and he began to run away. 
But then it was like there was a stop sign, like the Holy Spirit was speaking into his life, and he said, Francis, I want you to attend to this person. And if you've um, been watching the new Pope, Pope Francis, you'll notice that Pope Francis loves to do things that are out of the ordinary, things that other popes have not always done. He's gotten out of the Pope-mobile, right, to take his, his old little trusty, trusty, I don't know if it's a Fiat or something like that around, around Italy. He likes to take his old car. And, and Pope Francis will embrace people that have just sort of been on the sidelines. And, and early on, Pope Francis got out and he began to kiss the, the, the feet and the boots of workers, common people who were in his place. Saint, or Pope Francis is really following the example of St. Francis. When he saw this stop sign and he turned around, he came back to this person who had leprosy, and he fell down at the leper's feet and he began to kiss the foot of the leper. Now that's not normal, and, and that's, it's rather different, but he was able to do that because God's love was being poured out into his life. And there was this mission not only to, to preach, but then he's like, I, I'm not just supposed to share the love of Christ, but I'm be, supposed to begin to care for people in my world. And the first people that God is putting in front of me are people with these kinds of needs, with the need, uh, with the need of leprosy. I don't know about you, but uh, to love God with all your heart and to love your neighbor, there may be places where you're being challenged in, in those to grow and to respond. For me, the, the challenge to love God has, has come up because a few years ago I heard somebody say about their own spiritual life that, that they, they found God speaking to them in a, in a unique place that these phrases, um, you don't pray much. And as that person was recounting their own story, it was like Jesus began to speak into my life saying to me, you don't pray much. You like to do a lot of things for me. You like to be um, somebody who works alongside of me. But the first and greatest commandment is to love me. And I'm wondering if you're giving yourself to prayer so that you love me. One of the things I know about Jesus is that he likes to speak to us. And I don't know what it is that Jesus has been saying to you, how he's been tapping you on the shoulder, but I'm sure that Jesus loves you and that in some form or fashion, he's asking you to respond in love. And then, secondly, I don't know who the people are in your world like the people were in St. Francis's world. You know, people, when, uh, because St. Francis found the lepers repulsive. Typically, he turned and ran. I don't know who does that for you, but I'm guessing that all of us have somebody in our life that when we hear their name or when we see their phone number come up on our phone, or we see an email come from them, or we, we just hear their voice somewhere off in the distance, or we hear a phrase that they say, our, our innermost response is to like get up and move to some other place, or to be about some other kind of business. I don't know who that person is for you, but I wonder, but I wonder if, if, God would begin to do a work in us where we would let his love flow into our hearts, what God would begin to do with those relationships. Where would he give us new eyes, new heart? Where would he give us different kinds of actions or maybe the capacity to listen when we all, always want to speak or engage? 
Francis began to love God and began to love others. And then he realized this, that love isn't easy. You see, when, uh, when Francis began to love God with his whole heart, soul, mind, and, and everything, his, his father wasn't pleased at all. His father came to him one day and he said, Francis, he said, everything you've got is something that, that I've given to you. And St. Francis said, well, then, then I'll give it back. And that wasn't enough for his dad. So his dad took him in front of the bishop and he said, Bishop, tell this son of mine that, that I've given him everything he's got and that he needs to come with me and he needs to be a part of my business. And the, and the bishop's like, Francis, you need to listen to your father. And, and, Fra- and Francis said, hey, look, bishop, I'm called to love God with everything I have, everything I am. I'm sorry that puts me at this juncture, but he said, it's something that I've got to do. I've got to do it. And this is not an easy task. This is not an easy place. But St. Francis, now his, his dad was a clothier. His dad was somebody who worked in, in fine material. St. Francis, if you, if you want to read the full interesting story, decided that he would take off everything that he had, everything that his dad was making claim on. That meant he got stark naked in the midst of the bishop in front of everybody who was gathered, and he handed that stuff back to his dad, and he said, Dad, here's your stuff. I don't know how God's going to clothe me, but God is going to clothe me. And he walked out of the chapel. And then there were other moments in Francis's life. Later, as other people started to gather around Francis, and he began to put an order of, of followers of Christ together, and they were going to follow Christ in, in his same way. Francis went on a couple of journeys, and, and, and he gave the responsibility of leadership to other people. And when he came back, he found that they had taken this movement, this, this order of the Brothers Minor, in a little different direction than he would have taken them. And Francis began to ask questions. That's sort of like if you've ever started a business or if you've ever been a boss and you go away on a trip, you go away on vacation and you come back and you find that people have begun to structure their daily work in a different way than you have. Or you, you hand the keys off of the enterprise to somebody else and you're going to walk away and you're going to let them run things and they begin to do things that you never would have done. I don't know if you've, you've ever done that before. I don't know if you've ever turned something over. You've had to watch somebody else do something. But Francis begins to have this inner struggle of like, how do I, how do I live in this space of being somebody who's not in charge? And yet I used to be in charge. How do I live in that space? And he heard the voice of Jesus saying, Love. Love, I'm calling you to love. And so St. Francis began to see himself as one who's following Christ and he began to humble himself and he began to say, I will follow the leadership of others. Even if they're doing things differently, I will stay in love with God and I will stay in love with my neighbors. Near the end of his life, St. Francis was, uh, by many people, considered to be a saint. And people would come to him and they wanted a blessing. People would come to him and they wanted something of St. Francis. St. Francis never saw himself as a saint. He saw himself as simply somebody who's, who longed to follow after God. In fact, one of, the, one of the titles he gave himself and he gave to the other brothers, he's like, we're a bunch of, of God's jugglers. And in that day, it was kind of like a, a word of reproach. We're, we're kind of like fools for God. 
We're out here just living the way Jesus described. It doesn't make sense to anybody else. But our, our heart, our passion is to love God and to bring joy and um, to bring laughter into the lives of, of other people. This past week, our, our staff team, our, our ministry staff at Schweitzer, we went away. We went away to do some planning, to do some listening, and we went away just to get to know one another. K.J. Rolke is going to be our, our new modern worship leader. He was with us, and uh, I don't know if he'll be with us next week or not, Sean. We might have driven him away by some of the fun that we had, but we sought to have a lot of fun to embrace in this idea that we too could be God's jugglers. We too could love God with all of our abandon and, and simply find God's joy at work within us. So, uh, Pastor Bob's not here this morning, but I just want to show you a video of, of some of that activity where we sought to be God's jugglers. We sought to live into the life of Christ and let other people laugh and us and ourselves laugh with one another. Here's a, a video of Pastor Bob. That's at the, uh, the top of the city museum in St. Louis, and there's a great big slide, and Pastor Bob and a, I think Jeff Fugit and Mark McNelly were on the side of him, and they were racing, trying to get to the bottom of the slide. Who was going to be the first? And Pastor Bob, of course, you know, he's, he's not, he, he's pretty competitive. That's right. He's pretty competitive, so he's, they, got, they got all the way to the top, and he's like, I'll beat you guys to the bottom, and off he went, having fun. Jesus calls us into a mission and he gives us a mission. How we do the mission matters. Jesus would point us back to two things that really are central to carrying out his mission. It's that wherever we find ourselves, we would love God and we'd love our neighbor. We'd love God with everything that we have. We love the people around us, the people that really like us and we like to be around, the people that drive us crazy. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he showed what that love was like. When he went and he took a piece of bread, he picked it up and he blessed it. And he gave it to his friends, his friends that he loved, friends that were gathered around the table. Some of the people there would walk away, some of the people would run away, some of the people would hide. But he said, know the depth of my love when you eat this sacrament. And then Jesus took the cup and he gave thanks for it and he blessed it. And he said, this is a new covenant. A covenant that's founded in love that is carried out when people love. So walk in this way. Walk in this covenant. And he gave it to them and he said, take and drink. And they did. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be poured out upon these gifts that are given for us today. Take this bread and this cup. Make them be for us the body and the blood of Christ. Help us to know at the depth of our heart how much you love us. Help us to experience your love, to be formed and shaped by your love. Help us to seek to love you. And then Jesus, remind us that you love the world. And the sacrament is meant to feed us, but it's meant to send us. So send us into the world, empowered by your love, nourished by your love. Help us feed on you.